0: This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome
1: to Outer Blue Convictions Market Analysis and Asset Allocation Views. Welcome to the Samundi Convictions podcast where we discuss the big market trends and our views on asset allocation. I'm Swaha Patanaik and it's my pleasure to welcome Monica Defend. Head of the IMD Institute, great to have you back with us, Monica. Thank you, Sua. Always a pleasure. So, Monica, our last convictions chat was only a month ago, but it feels a little bit like a lifetime given the events of the last couple of weeks, including the collapse of Credit Suisse, a bank that had been in business for 166 years. Monica, despite the shockwaves, you're very firmly of the opinion that what we've seen recently is not a déjà vu of the 2008 global financial crisis. Why do you reckon that's the case? Rightly so, Swaha. We believe this is not anything like 07,
0: 08, 09. The banks are, in general, uh, well-capitalized. They've been raising a lot of capital. By and large, uh, banks' balance sheet are very strong. Liquidity has been generally strong. And also, capital Capital is much stronger uh, when compared to 15 years ago. At the same time, regulators, in Europe in particular, have been quite active. Since the great financial crisis, the big systemic banks are well-capitalized highly regulated and in a far better shape compared to the previous crisis. In the European Union, in particular, the Bank Recovery and Resolution Directive has been set up in 2016. The rules were strengthened further in order to complete the post-crisis regulatory agenda by making sure that the regulatory framework addressed, uh, addresses any outstanding challenges to financial stability while ensuring on the other side that banks can continue to support the real economy. And we've seen over the weekend how five central banks altogether have been uh, moving, uh, providing liquidity tools, opening uh, swap lines to ensure liquidity into the system. So to conclude, um this, is, this was more idiosyncratic risk episodes.
1: So given that it is, as you say, idiosyncratic, but there have been huge price swings, do you see any pockets of value perhaps as the dust settles now in the banking sector? Just let me comment on the uh,
0: performance of the uh, banking sector. The market movement in European banks had been driven by investors taking positions on what was uh, a crowded trade, a consensus overweight of European banks, that have been doing extremely well uh, since, uh, since October. Now the outlook obviously is, is more uncertain. So uh, European banks earnings growth will still be positive, but just less so uh, than uh, previously thought. In addition, the competition for deposits may increase for some institutions, though the liquidity profile for the sector overall in Europe still appears very robust with less competition from money market funds when compared to the U.S., so deposit betas uh, have remained low. Key for sector profitability will be whether the European economy is able to avoid the recession over the uh, coming months and years and the labor markets uh, remain robust. Obviously, any deterioration on that front uh, will see asset quality becoming more challenged. So while fears about credit crunches may increase with higher funding costs, the strong liquidity profile and capital position of the European banking sector should ensure that new lending facilities remain available to support the economy. So, how uh, we see overall the concerns on the sectors, uh, on the banking sector, are unjustified. But obviously, we, we now take a step back and uh, see the, the
1: further uh, development. Got it. So, let me go back to something you just mentioned about the five central banks that moved to provide liquidity, um, the swap lines that were announced over the weekend. It showed that central banks remembered the lessons of past crises and recognised the need to move quickly to shore up confidence, especially in the health of the financial system. But I guess what's a little bit different this time compared with the past crises is inflation, which is much, much higher than their targets and needs to come down. So we'll talk about the Fed specifically in a minute, but more generally, do you think central bankers may end up facing a trade-off between hitting their inflation goals, which they've been missing for a while, and guaranteeing financial stability?
0: i think so that the uh, the challenge is uh, uh, even uh, uh, more difficult it is not just uh, financial stability it is not just about inflation but also uh, about growth so overall uh, we think that the central banks are well equipped uh, to guarantee financial stability uh, they have liquidities uh, liquidity tools uh, available while on the rates front they might be uh, more suitable uh, to uh, battle against uh, Inflation. So, on this front, we have been always uh, more cautious when when it goes to uh, rates expectations, as we envisage some risks and structural changes underpinning the economy. Uh, Therefore, really, our concern now moves to the economic growth explicitly, in particular, when it goes to the United States, small and medium-sized banks account for a significant proportion of lending in the US into the uh, real economy between 40 and 60% to commercial real estate, residential real estate and consumer loans. And these banks are now under stress from deposit outflows and from losses on their asset portfolio. So their ability to lend will continue to be constrained by the inversion of the yield curve with competition uh, from higher rates on money market funds and short maturity US treasuries. And this effect will last well beyond The policy response is currently underway to stabilize the banking sector. And this will have an impact on, on real growth. This is why now uh, we are seeing uh, a recession coming out of the US. It it will be informative to see the release um, next month on the, uh, one first quarter US GDP, but starting the second quarter, uh, we see uh, a recession coming, exacerbating in Q3 and possibly continuing over the following quarters. And we are already noticing a progressive deterioration of the growth components, consumption, residential and non-residential investment. So, uh, to conclude, we now project the annual growth of US GDP at 0.5%, uh, a revision down from the 1%, uh, we had previously Uh, for 2023, and we expect this weakness uh, to be protracted and now see 2024 growth barely above zero. When it goes to Europe, we see no reason for any significant changes in the weak outlook uh, for for Europe. Um, The high uh, core inflation will keep monetary policy restrictive and borrowing costs quite high. So we maintain our uh, 2023 projection uh, for GDP growth at 0.3%, but we have now reduced the 2024 growth projection uh, to 0 Uh, 0.7%. When it goes uh, to the ECB, the market expectations for the uh, terminal rates are still quite volatile, and we maintain our expectation of the ECB peaking at 3.5%.
1: Thank you for that. Let me loop back a little bit to the US that, as you say, you've halved your growth forecast um, from what you're saying. Um, The the Fed was very, very adamant before that it was on track to get inflation under control. Some of the banking stress and the tightening of credit conditions that you're talking about for the real economy, businesses, consumers, is going to do the job for them, though. So how does that change perhaps your outlook on US monetary policy and how high the US terminal rate has to be? Well, we have
0: just uh, um, seen uh, Jerome Powell uh, hiking uh, rates at 25 uh, basis points, but not all hikes are created equally. Uh, we think this was opportunistic to maintain the market participants' confidence, as by the way, uh, the ECB did uh, the previous week. The Fed tone, though, was very dovish. We now expect a pause, uh, as, as you were mentioning, uh, credit markets are going uh, to, to do the the Fed tightening, and at the same time, inflation remains sticky. Core and headline CPI have peaked, but the deceleration in core is showing stickiness, while on PPI, dynamics have not yet stabilized. So what's next? Uh, We maintain our expectation that the Fed terminal rate uh, will be uh, uh, 5-25%, so no cut uh, this year. It will really depend uh, on how deep uh, the the recession over Q2 and and Q3 um, will be uh, to possibly reassess uh, this forward guidance. But in any case, uh, to to see further 25 basis points hikes uh, in the remainder of the year, this is conditional to policy efforts uh been successful in stabilising the banking sector and inflation, especially the core PCE, remaining sticky this year. So we note in passing that market expectation of where the Fed will peak and two-year Treasury yields are unprecedentedly volatile, more volatile than during the global financial crisis and at the outbreak of COVID.
1: As you say, I mean, the intraday moves have been huge every day, day after day. Um, <laughs> Given what we are seeing, and that volatility in bond yields is telling us a lot about how much uncertainty is out there, given this uncertainty, um, the outlook for monetary policy, and your forecast about the very sharp slowdown recession in the US very imminently, what are your calls in the equity space?
0: More in general, let let me answer more in general on the risky asset. We favor high quality names in both equity and credit, where now we are defensive and in particular in high yield markets. Then focusing on equities, uh, we've been cautious for quite some time because we were not comfortable with excessive valuations and recent volatility in the US and in Europe has been partly as a result of markets being too complacent. We think investors should aim to benefit from these strong performances so far in in some segments, uh, such as uh, cyclicals, for example, and now explore defensive areas with attractive valuations and strong earnings potential. On the other hand, Inflation uh, will remain uh above uh central bank's uh, targets. So we've continue to favor dividend-paying stocks that boost investor income. And finally, uh this uh, term reaffirms our stance on the quality parts of the market with a value tilt and a preference for non-US banks, such as those in Europe. But here Two, we are selective in favor of names with robust capital positions. And to conclude on emerging markets, emerging markets obviously have been hit uh, by the, uh, the turmoil on the financial markets, but all in all, um, appears relatively resilient. Um, and medium term, they will benefit from the fact that this time, the stress event uh, Is uh, is centered and emanates from the um, from the developed market. In emerging equities, in particular, we are positive on China, but we have lowered our positive stance on Brazil.
1: Thank you. And were there anything, uh, any asset classes, perhaps um, that you wanted to mention that might be useful when investors are thinking about hedging strategies or other things that they should have in their portfolio at this stage?
0: Well, um for sure the US treasuries uh, might be uh, an appealing uh, asset class and we raised uh, actually our uh, duration position before uh, the recent uh, downward repricing yields to strengthen state safeguard. Um, we think investors should announce hedges on US equities and stay well diversified. In fact, for a global investor, uh, diversify into assets such as gold or regions such as China, that are driven by individual local factors, looks even more important now. And last but not least on oil, uh, we revised uh, our target to $85, dollars We are tactically moving to a neutral stance, after having positive for a while, as the negative spillover from a weakening demand in the US and Europe in a tightening lending scenario more than outweighs the positive impact from China
1: reopening. Thanks, Monica. So we're unfortunately nearly out of time, but let me try and squeeze in one last question. We've seen a lot of concentrated turmoil in a short space of time. What's been your key takeaway from all that upheaval that we've seen in the last fortnight? Well, it
0: comes, as always, scrutiny your narratives so that you get your scenario identifying the effect of current development of wages, employment, and therefore on inflation. And be mindful that macro and micro fundamentals will remain pivotal.
1: Wise words, Monica. <laughs> thanks very much for taking the time to join us today, Monica. Thank you, Swann. And thanks to all of you for tuning in into this podcast from imundi We hope you'll join us again soon. This podcast is only for the attention of
0: professional investors, as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC dated 21st of April, 2004, on markets and financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.